Okay. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, start with another story. You know, this is the beginning of the tape, so how can you start with another story, right? There was a, an advertisement for a cookie when I was growing up, and, and the, the advertisement was, how can you have another butter peanut butter sandwich cookie when you haven't had one yet? So, you remember that? <laughs> so, anyway, so this is... Um, this is something else. This this is crazy, but but um, there, I I was uh, I was meeting someone, I was meeting someone for some uh, for some coffee, and this guy's from Mexico, and he doesn't know the neighborhood, and um, and I'm sure he's lost because he's late, and my phone has run out of batteries, and I'm sure he's trying to text me, to tell me he's either lost or he's late, or whatever it is. And I can't go home, even though I live a few blocks away, because if I go home, then maybe he's going to come during that time. And there's no way to charge my... So I'm stuck. I'm stuck knowing that he's trying to help me, and I know that he's stuck too. So everybody's stuck. And so I'm just sitting there. And, um, and there's a little kind of like customer parking thing. It's a busy street. This is on Robertson. There's a busy street. But there's like a little customer parking for a couple of minutes if you want to just stop there for whatever reason. And while I'm sitting there just feeling absolutely helpless, like, like a car pulls up and it stops there. And I'm looking at the car and I'm thinking, oh, you know, my wife drives a car like that. <laughs> and then the door opens and my daughter gets out of the car. I mean really out of nowhere. This is completely out of nowhere to deliver a package to a FedEx shop like right there. And I can't even believe it. I walk up to the car and I, with my phone, and I say to my wife, can you recharge my phone, please? And she's like, sure. And she recharges my phone just for like a little bit. And there's a message from the guy. He says, I'm lost. I'm running late, but uh, I'll be there any minute. Like, it was crazy. It was crazy. So, there are people who hear stories like that, and it's like, you know, you try to make sense out of it. You can't really make sense out of it. And then other people who hear stories like that and say, no, that's the way you're supposed to go through life. That's the way life is supposed to work. You should absolutely be unamazed by that story. <laughs> so, that's, um, I think that's, that's the challenge. You know, a lot of times we talk about living with miracles. And um, there's a famous story uh, in the in the Gomorrah about uh, I believe it was Hanina Bendosa who lights Shabbos candles, but they they don't have any oil, so they use vinegar. So so and vinegar doesn't light, but for him vinegar lit for his family vinegar lit. And they say that one of the reasons why that was able to work was because. He knows that since God can do absolutely everything at any moment and that nothing's stopping God from doing anything, that means that absolutely everything is a miracle. And if you approach it from the standpoint that absolutely everything is a miracle, then miracles can happen without having to be quote-unquote miracles. In other words, our definition of a miracle is that when God sort of like stops nature in order to do something, but if you understand that nature itself is an ongoing miracle and that everything is miracles, then God doesn't have to do anything special in order to do a miracle because there's no such thing as nature in your mind, right? So if you actually, one of the ways of having miracles happen for you is to absolutely understand that everything is a miracle. Then, then Hashem can just do miracles without having to have a special higher level reason or purpose or a person doesn't have to have a higher level merit necessarily in order to deserve it because all of a sudden just everything is miracles right okay so so with that in mind I want to let's talk a little bit about Noah but then there's some Torahs more Torahs on, on Breshis because how can you ever stop explaining Breshis right so so let's let's I noticed a couple of things about Noah that, that uh, I want to share. So if you look at the way the water is receding, um, and there's so much on Noah, I mean, we, but we've, we've gone over a lot of these teachings already, so I want to just say something new. So when the, st when the water starts receding, the, the Torah like um, records all the, 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 the stages 
of the water receding. Because remember, Hashem, remember the, the, the measurements of a kosher mikveh are 40 saw. Saw is a, a, a liquid measurement. And, and when Hashem made it rain, He made it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Meaning to say that God turned the whole world into a mikveh. Okay, so now we've got the, the receding of the waters being chronicled. And remember, of course, I'll just say it very quickly. The Torah was also given in 40 days, right? On Har Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu was up for 40 days. So, so remember, Rav Wilson brings down that, that, that because the generation wasn't worthy, what, the, the Gomorrah compares Torah to water. So because the, gen- the generation could have received Torah at that moment, but because they weren't worthy, they got it in this physical way, which was water, which was a purification like a mikvah, but it was also just wiped them out because they weren't on the level to receive it in its truest, in its truest spiritual format, right? And then also remember, Kabbalistically, we say that Noach is reincarnated as Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So that it was really was like a, a time of of Kabbalah Satara, but it didn't happen because the generation wasn't on the level. Okay, there's a lot on that, but 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 now the water starts to recede. And and it says here that the that on the seventh on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, that's what how the Torah refers to it, the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark rests on on, on Mount Ararat on the top of Mount Ararat, okay? Now, I thought about that. I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying anything new, but I didn't hear this from anyone. The 17th, of the, day, seventh, the 17th day of the 7th month is Sukkot. That's the third day of Sukkot. So, and the Ark is like a Sukkah. You hear? So here you have like this Sukkah appearing on the top of Mount Ararat. And then the waters haven't receded yet. They're still like underneath the boat. It's just that the boat is resting on the top of Mount Ararat. So, so it's just far out to think of the ark as a sukkah. And of course you can compare and contrast them because of course the a sukkah has schach on top. And the ark has a roof. And okay, you can, you can make a lot of comparisons and, and learn interesting things. But you have this like sukkah moment. Right? Now, I was saying this over, and, and one of the Hebra, like added that what, what was the big avoda of, what was the big heavenly service of Sukkot? What we call Nusach HaMayim, which is the drawing of the water. Right? So here you have, like, the Sukkah on top of Mount Ararat, and, and it's like, that's the time of the drawing of the water. Right? Now listen to this. I looked up the, the, the next step. I looked up the Gamacho of Arat. It's 410, which is the number of years the, the first base of Migdash existed. <laughs> so it's like, it's a whole thing. You know, it's a whole picture. So now listen to this. The very next, the very next Pasuk in the Torah, the very next verse in the Torah, says that then the waters receded so that you can see, uses the word see, so that you could see the mountaintops. And that date is given the first day of the 10th month. The first day of the 10th month is Hanukkah. <laughs> that's, that's Rosh Chodesh um, uh, Tevis. Hanukkah is the only holiday that straddles two months. So, so the first day of the 10th month, Tevis, is, is always like Hanukkah. It's like the middle of Hanukkah, maybe the sixth day of Hanukkah. And so just visualize this now. You have like all these mountaintops, which it says you could see, because the whole idea is to see, right? And um, to me, that looks like Hanukkah candles, right? Like the mountaintops are Hanukkah candles now. And while I'm saying this over at the Minion yesterday, uh, Dr. Honeg is like learning from this safer that he bought, right? I never saw the safer before. And he says, and at that moment, he's reading this Torah there and he goes, Oh, it says here that Linoach is Gematria Hanukkah. 
you imagine that he's reading that as we're talking about how the mountaintops are like the, the, the Hanukkah lights, right? And then there's this teaching that I don't know the source of this teaching. It's a great, fantastic teaching, but I really want to say it, say it inside. Now, it's absolutely a medrash, but I don't know whether this is like, when we say a medrash, you assume, okay, we're talking about something from hundreds of years ago or a thousand years ago or longer or whatever it is. It fits all the qualities of a medrash, but it might be a modern medrash. I don't, I have, I have no idea what the source is, but it's an amazing medrash. But I always wondered about the source. So we're still on the same subject, but let me just tell you what it is. So it goes like this, that the, that the dove that brings back news to Noah, um, that, the, that you can go out into the world again. How does he do it? With an olive branch. That, that Noah made from those olives oil, and that he passed down that oil, and that it says, you know, when Yaakov Avinu um, wrestles the angel that night, if you look, if you look at the Rashi there, Rashi will tell you why was he alone? Because theoretically he was with his family. So why was he all alone? Because he was all alone. Because he had crossed over the river to get, it says Pach Shemin, which is a, a jar of oil. That that jar of oil was the oil that Noah had made from the from the from the olives that the dove brought him to tell him that the world can begin again, and then that got passed down, and that was the oil that the miracle of Hanukkah was done with. Okay, that's the teaching, right? So, but I always wonder, like, where is that? Where is that coming from exactly? You know. So anyway, a few psukim later, a few psukim after this thing that says that the that the waters receded on the first day of the month of Teves, right? Right, and I'm telling you. That, that it's like, it looks like Hanukkah to me, you know? A few psukim later, it says that the, that the dove arrives with the, with the olives. You know? So, it's, it's all kind of right there. So that, anyway, that, that, that was exciting. Um, and uh, I'll tell you something else. So, uh, Rabbi Mendel added that something very beautiful, I thought, which was... He said that um, one of the when you describe the ark, one of the things that it doesn't describe at all is there's no rudder. There's no rudder. There's no steering wheel. Like, isn't that interesting? That 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 was a sign of because the, you know the, the the, the Torah points out, Rashi points out that 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 uh, Noach was of was small in faith. Okay, but you see that he was a great tzaddik and he was great in faith. So, so, so there's a great um, Torah from Reb Shlomo. He says, what does it mean that Noach was, was small in faith? It's a classic Torah. He says that it meant that Noach believed in God, but he didn't, he didn't believe that God believed in him. Just like Moshe, right? When Moshe says, I can't do this. Yeah, I have to think about it some more. I have to think about it some more. So, so as a way of like fixing his faith, so to speak, the the ark has no rudder, no direction. Can you imagine just getting into a boat and then just or this, and it's just going wherever it's going? That's it. That's 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 pretty cool. And then if you think about how it rested on that mountain top, why didn't it just plunge right into a mountain? and get the whole boat ripped apart. You know, pe- that happens to ships all the time. They go into rocky areas, right? I mean, that's what happened to the Titanic, even. Right? right? So that, that happens, and it just rips apart the hole, and then that's the end of that. So you see the fact that the, the ark rested on top of Mount Ararat, that in itself is an amazing thing. It didn't, it didn't have to be like that. Especially since the waters were receding, and they were, he was very close to very rocky shoreline, you know? Okay. So, so, that reminded me of a, something from the Baal Shem Tov. I'll just share just something personal with you in a moment, but, you know, by the Baal Shem Tov, um, 
I learned from Reb Shlomo that he had a, a, a carriage driver, the, the, the one who directed the horses, his name was Alexei, and he would sit with his back to the horses. You know? So you can imagine that, like, like he's holding on to the reins, but the driver is sitting with his back to the horses. <laughs> so the horses are going to go where God wants them to go. But at the same time, you had a driver, but the driver was completely, it's kind of like the ark without any rudder. You hear? So, you know, I've shared with you the, 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 the song that I wrote one time. When maybe someone will write some music to it someday. But, uh, but it goes, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know where I'm going, but the driver is good. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right, so now let's, uh, let's get to, let's get to Brashis, back to Brashis. So, um, so I heard a couple of Torahs that, that really like made me super happy. Um, and uh, someone who I've been learning with for, for maybe about a year, he's, he said to me this past week, he said, okay, he said, I'm going to say over a Torah in your style. So I was like, okay, <laughs> what's, what's, what's going to happen, you know? So this is this is what he said, and by the way, this is okay. I do like he's right. I do like to say Torahs like this. I never heard it put this way. Like you know, you're kind of looking at a newspaper account for a moment. But um, the truth is, is that this is just sort of like Hasidic learning. So this is this is far from my innovation. But but I guess he wasn't familiar with this type of learning before we started learning together. So anyway, with that introduction, so he said, I looked at the word brachis. Because everybody knows everything is contained in the word brachis, right? Brachis means with beginnings, out of beginnings, God created the world. It's all there. Everything is there. So, so he kind of blew my mind with this, and, and, and he said the following. He said, if you take all the letters of brachis except the letter shin, using all the letters of brachis, so you put shin on one side and take all the other letters, all the other letters other than shin add up to 613. So 613 obviously is, is the number of mitzvahs in the Torah. So that's, that's, that's amazing. Now he says, now take the letter Shin. Shin is Gematria 300. So he says he selected two words that equal, um, they're each 300. There's two separate thoughts, okay? So one of them is Yotzer. Yotzer is Yud, Sadi, Resh. Yud is 10, Sadi is 90, so that's 100. And Resh is 200, so that's 300. So look what's contained in this teaching. This is, this is an amazing teaching. We know that God looked into the Torah and created the world. Right? So God basically made the world out of the Torah. God made the world out of the Torah. So Breshis, which is talking about the creation of the world, Yotzer means to form. So Breshis, which is talking about the creation of the entire universe, is, if you read it that way, the formation of the 613. In other words, out of the 613, out of the energy of the Torah, God formed the entire universe. It's right there in the very first word of the Torah. You see, one of the things that and, and um, you know, it's funny, it's like, if I've had sort of this campaign for all the time I've been trying to give over Torah, which is to get one, one particular thought across. And if you've learned with me at all, you, you must have heard it, you've probably heard it a dozen times or two dozen times. But I really want to start a new campaign for this next teaching. <laughs> this campaign that I've been on has been to for people to understand, like people, everybody asks the question, if there's a God, why is the world so messed up? And the answer is because the world's not finished yet. And that's why we're here to finish the world with God, right? So that's 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 the campaign I've been on. Okay. But this next campaign 
is, is the following. For people to understand that the Torah is not a book. The Torah is not a book. The Torah is the fabric of the entire universe. The, the Chumash, what we refer to as the Torah, the scroll or the book form of it, is a manifestation of something much larger, much, much larger. Or to put it another way, the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And when we're holding a Chumash, we're holding a very finite representation of what the Torah is. Okay? So, so again, let's revisit this word, Breshis. Yoitzer 613. Right? Because the Talmud says that the Torah existed 974 generations before the world existed. In other words, the Torah, what was the Torah before the world existed? It wasn't a Torah scroll floating up in outer space because there was no time or space. So what does it mean, the Torah before the world existed? The Torah was God's plan for the world. And God then formed his plan for the world into the world. Which is why all the pillars of the world are the mitzvot of the Torah. So now with this in mind, I want to say something very, very, for me, very deep, very important. Like to me, this is like a super gem. So I saw this in the Mayor of Hashemesh. I was so happy because for years I've been working, I'll probably work my whole life on this, and making kind of like a timeline. Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, like on a clock. I'm talking about a series of events. A timeline from the infinite to the finite. Like to, to, to track to track creation. Right? That's that's and I learned a very important piece of that this week. Okay? So this is again from the Meravishemish. Because we know that God contracted his light, and this is called Simsum. He kept on contracting his light until the spiritual segues into the material. Right? Like a lot of people think, okay, I'm not so spiritual. Right? Like there's the material world and then the spiritual. I don't even know what that is. That's for you guys. Right? But that's not reality. Reality is, is that materiality is compressed spirituality. It's one spectrum from the, from the spiritual to the material. They're not two separate categories. It's very important to understand that, right? That's how we can understand that God is right here, right now, amidst the materiality, right? Because otherwise you think, well, I know, there's the material, and then God's up there somewhere doing whatever he's doing. Right? You have to understand that. Materiality is compacted spirituality. Okay? And all the physics says this now. We won't go into it. But all the physics says this. That, that energy becomes mass. That's Einstein. This is all, you can look at the math on this now. But we've had the ideas forever. Okay? So, you have this idea of, and it's not Hashem just condensing himself. Because then you have to say that the world equals God and God equals the world, and that's actually heresy, believe it or not, and very much not Judaism. You have to say God took an aspect, or what we call the outer garment of his light, and compressed it into the world. But God himself, while he saturates all of creation, exists dimensions beyond this world, simultaneously. Very, very important, because otherwise we put parameters around God, and that's a big no-no. Okay. So now, listen to this. We haven't gotten to the, this step yet. But we also know that God created the world out of the Hebrew letters. So what does that mean? Again, you have to, you have to understand that we're, we're talking about really physics here, and that the Chachamim, the sages, didn't have the, they, they didn't have the vocabulary of contemporary quantum physics. But they were thinking and talking in that way, but they were using other metaphors. And you have to understand the paradigm that they were working in in order to understand how advanced their thinking was. Right? So when we talk about God making the world out of the letters, what do we mean? He wasn't hammering a dalit into a vav. That's not what he was doing. 
Each of these things are different energy wavelengths, different aspects of light, frequencies of light, divine energies, divine consciousness, however you want to express it. And that's what he was forming the world out of. Rabbi Freeman said something very interesting. Like He said, I don't like the terms uh, light and I don't like divine light and energy. We're talking about consciousness. I was, that's a very big breakthrough idea if you give yourself time to understand what that means. We dwell amidst God's consciousness. Do you understand? When we say that God is absolutely everywhere, it's not just like, you know, like, you know how people on the internet, they write first? Are you familiar with that phenomenon? <laughs> like, like on the comments page, people like to be the first to comment, but they don't have anything to say. So they just write first, and that's it. <laughs> that's a way of sort of like marking territory, you know, in the... In, uh, in, in cyberspace. It's a game that some people like to play, right? So it's not just like God just sort of like marks his territory, says first, and then like runs away. We're amidst his consciousness. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a whole another way to see your entire life and, and every footstep, you know, that you walk down the street. You understand? So, so, the Olive Bays, the letters of the Olive Bays, and if you want to hear more on this, we discussed it a lot last week. So check out last week's talk, because we talk a lot about the letters Olive through Tough, and, and, and there's a lot of amazing Torah on that. But anyway, these are the letters of the Olive Bays that God used to, to create the world with. Okay, so now we've got two different thoughts here. We just said God was compacting divine energy, right? So that's like what we call the Shema Vaya. That's like the Yudke Vavke, right? But now we're saying like a new thought. Well, wait a second. No, no, no. Now we're saying God is making the world out of the Hebrew letters. Okay, so now listen to what the Me'or V'Shemesh says. Right? This is like, this is like a link. We're going to connect two major ideas here right now. He says that Hashem was mitzaref, it's a fancy word, okay? He was connecting the Yudke Vavke, the Shemavaya, like this divine name of God, this divine emanation of godliness, with each of the letters of the Aleph base. And as such, he infused each of the letters of the Aleph base with divine energy. Such that now everything in creation, both the animate, that which is living, and that which is inanimate, is filled with godliness. That's big. That's big. Because we just made a connection between the Yudke Vavke, in terms of Tzimtzum, and the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, in terms of God forming those into the creation of the world. That's a, that's a big thought. You can't just like run into 7-Eleven and see that thought. You understand what I'm saying? They're not selling that next to the Hershey bars. <laughs> like that's like, that's a find. Yeah, very simply, very simply, God connected, infused each of the letters of the Aleph base with his divine name, yud Vavke. That's it in the simplest form. Okay? But as such, since God created the world out of the Hebrew letters, now each of the letters is infused with divinity. And that means that even inanimate objects are suffused with an aspect of the divine. Now, yesterday I was walking to Shul, and I had this experience, which is there's a patch of sidewalk that used to be the worst patch of sidewalk in the whole neighborhood. It was like severely broken and like it would like jut up, right? Like, and then it would go sharp down and it was broken and it was really bad for like, I don't know, a good 10 feet, you know? Like the type of thing that you'd walk by and you'd like, why is no one, how could it be years that it's like this? Years. 
Then they made a new building right there. And like a multi-unit, like apartment building, right? They knocked down three houses in order to make this unit. And they paved this sidewalk so that it's now the smoothest sidewalk in the whole neighborhood. <laughs> this patch. So it's gone from the rockiest to the smoothest. All right? And as I'm walking on it yesterday, I'm thinking, you know, it says in Tehillim that God is going to clear away all the mountains and make a smooth road. And, and then I thought of this teaching from the mayor of Ashemish that even inanimate objects are infused with, with divinity. And I thought to myself, this patch of sidewalk is reciting to him. It's talking about how the mountains are all going to be cleared away and made into a smooth path. So, so this, it's just, you know, okay. So now, I'll tell you the next thing he said. He said, okay, remember, let's review. If you take the word brachis and you put all the letters on one side except for shin, it adds up to 613, that's the Torah. And then you have the shin, which is gematria 300. Another word that's a gematria for 300 is kaper. That's chaf, pei reish. Chaf is 20, pei is 80, that adds up to 100. And reish is 200, so that adds up to 300. Kaper means to forgive. Like, that's the root of the word Yom Kippur. Right? It's about forgiveness. So now, how would you go about explaining that? That Breshis, which was talking about the creation of the entire world, is 613 Kaper. Right? So, what it says to me, and it's very appropriate that that, 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 that should be the case, because, you know, there's a famous question about the way the Torah is written in the beginning. Because it says that um, at the end of the first day, it says Yom Echad. And then by the second day, it says Yom Sheni. And then by the third day, it says Yom Shlishi. But it's not consistent. Because Yom Echad means one day. Then Yom Sheni means second day. Yom Shlishi, third day. So it should say first day. Make it consistent. First day, second day, third day. And that's the way it continues to the end. But it's, it doesn't say that. It says one day, second day, third day, fourth day. Fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. So what's going on with this strange language of Yom Echat? Okay, so the rabbis were all over this, right? So the Medrash says that that there's one day, like the Gomorrah says, the Gomorrah says that um, that the word Hasatan, which would mean like the heavenly accuser, like the Yetzirah energy, right? Hasatan is Gematria 364. So that's a very interesting number because it's not 365. In other words, that's the days of the year. Hasatan is 364, which means, says the Gomorrah, there's one day out of the year where the Satan is not accusing, and that day is Yom Kippur. So when it says in the beginning of the Torah, Yom Echad, not the first day, but one day, it's already referring to on the first day of creation, Yom Kippur. So I'm going to expand on that, but I think that the Medrash figures, as long as we tell you this, you already know the next part, but doesn't so but I'm gonna tell you the next part, but I'm sure this is what the Medrash is saying. And one level anyway. Which is that from the very beginning of creation, literally the first day, actually even before the first day, God is already aware of our humanity and aware of the fact that we have to be able to live with forgiveness. Kaper means to forgive. That we, that we need forgiveness. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive each other. We need to forgive God. 
we have to be able to let go and to be able to tap into breishis, which means an ongoing creation, that you can begin again and you can begin again and you can let go. doesn't mean you're not disappointed. You can, you can be disappointed, but, but, but let go and say, okay, so then what do I have? Rebbe Nachman says that one time he saw there was a fire. Back in the day, if there was a fire, that was really bad news. You know, it's always bad news, but it was more bad news then because if one house caught on fire, the whole village burned down. Because everything was made out of thatched whatever. And that was it. And he said he saw a person going to his burnt-out house. It was burned down. And he was just picking through the rubble. What can he say? And he said, here's a guy who's at the end. And already he's, he's beginning a new <laughs> saying, okay, what can I start over with? So a person lets go, and they say, okay, so now what do I have to work with? Let me, let me work from that, and I'll start again. So Hashem understands our humanity. He understands our humanity, and He's already from the outset of creation, even before creation, He's creating tshuva. He's already allowing us to be able to begin again because he's infusing the world with forgiveness from the very start of the world. Now let me put it in a more classic way. It says that in the beginning God wanted to create the world from the standpoint of din. And he saw that the world couldn't survive from din, so he mixed it with chesed. That's what this is saying. That's what that means. That's what that means. Everything we've been saying up, that's what, the, that's what that means. That's sort of the classic formulation of that teaching. But you see it in the word gracious. That's the amazing thing. 613 cut there. To forgive the 613, meaning to the extent that we are not able to live on the level of perfection, there is already forgiveness built into the system to allow for us to be able to continue on. That's, that's, that's a very loving God. That's a very loving God at work. That it's right there from the very beginning. It's like literally in the first word of the Torah. So I want to go deeper now. So, so this um, sort of came to me on Shabbos. And um, it concerns the letter He. And uh, so... So everybody knows that the Gomorrah says, see, I'll give you some more details on this later. This is something I'm still learning about, but just it's cool to just even know that there's a question to be asked, right? Because we know God created the world with the Hebrew letters, but it says specifically in Gomorrah Menachos that Hashem created this world with the letter He. Okay, so if that's the case, and the next world with the letter Yud, so if that's the case, then how does that, how do you reconcile that with God having created the world with all the letters? Okay, so God willing answer to follow. But even to hear the question is, is, is an aspect of learning, you know? So, um, but anyway, we know that when we look at the, the, the yud ke vav ke, and I always tell you to kind of look at it from top to bottom, like that, that, that's always, because it's like a, a cosmic map of the world. And we know the bottom letter He stands for this dimension, right? That bottom He is Malchus. That's this realm that we live in. And Malchus is a, a realm of concealment, right? Remember, one of the most important Torahs, the word Olam, which means world. The, the root of Olam is, is Ayin Lam in Mem, which means hidden. Can you imagine that the word in Hebrew for world is the same word as hidden? Because God is hidden in this world. But, there's a giant but here, God is as present in this world as He is in the higher realms. See, people just hear half that teaching, that God is hidden in this world, and they think that that means that God is some on some level absent from this world. God is 10,000% as present here as he's present in the upper realms. It's just it's more concealed. Do you, do you understand? That's a, that's a very, very important distinction. 
Um, and that's, again, will focus you in on this whole idea that we dwell amidst consciousness, godly consciousness. That's what this air is. It's not air around us. It's, it's consciousness that we're in, enveloped in. Okay. Now listen to this. So we know He stands for this realm, Malchus. Right? He is this realm. Now, something very, very interesting. Here's the thought. Hey, when you spell out the word hey, there's three different ways that the that the Chachamim, that our sages, tell us that we can spell the word hey. You can spe- spell it hey Aleph, hey Yud, or hey hey. Okay? That's how you spell the letter hey. Alright? So now, there are many, many Torahs. There are many, many Torahs that, that are impacted by how you spell the letter hey. Because depending on how you spell the letter hey, it's going to give you a different gematria. And then what that gematria points you to is going to be, you, they're, very, they're very rich, this is like a, a rich field, all based on exactly how are you spelling hey. Okay? Now when we talk about the inner letters of uh, how you spell something, right, which means not the first letter, but the, the inner letters, that's called the mului, the filling of the letter. And that's a whole methodology and pathway to understand godly Torahs and secrets in and of themselves, to focus in on the, on the inner letters of each letter, okay? So I was thinking, wow, you know, take the letter hey, and it can be spelled within Aleph, hey Aleph, with a Yud, hey Yud, or with a hey, hey hey. And then I thought, wow, that spells Aye. Now, Aye is a very, very big word in Torah. Like, Rabbi Nachman has a whole Sicha on the word aye. Aye means where. That means, and I like in the Musaf of Shabbos, a big moment in the Musaf of, 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 of Shabbos is when you say aye. Aye means where. It says that even the angels are saying aye, where is the place of your glory, God? In other words, even the angels don't see the entirety of God. They're shouting out aye. Where? Because God is so infinite. Even in the upper realms, He's so infinite. So, so, listen, make sure, let's make sure that we're communicating because then we're going to go deeper in a second. So, hey, like the bottom hey of the yud Vavke, the bottom hey is malchus, that means this realm, where God is concealed. Now, when you spell out hey, the inner letters spell out the word where? Because this realm is, is shouting out, where is the place of your, where are you, God? But I saw in the art scroll a thought that has sort of been kind of waiting for me to integrate into my brain for years and years. It says in the name of the Kabbalists, that's what it says, that I is an acrostic which stands for Es Yom HaShabbat. This is the day of Shabbos. Shabbos, we know, stands for, stands for Geula because the Messianic period, the era of perfection, is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. Shabbos stands for perfection, and we know that every Shabbos that we experience in our own world is, is a 60th of the, of, of the Garden of Eden. Right? So now let's put it all together because this is this is strong. Hey stands for this world. The inner letters of Hey, Aleph Yud Hey, spelled Aye. It's asking, it's crying out, Where are you, God? You're so concealed. But simultaneously, as it's yelling out about God's concealment, it also is spelling, says the Kabbalist. Es Yom HaShabbat, the light of Shabbos, <laughs> the redemption, simultaneously. So you understand that even amidst the darkness, the darkness is filled with light. 
darkness is literally made out of light. And again, this is what we were learning last week from the Memor Vishemesh, that when God first created the world, He shined a very great light and that the, the, the kalim, the, the vessels couldn't even hold it. And then it talks about this astonishing void, this darkness. But that darkness was just darkness from our perspective. From God's perspective, it says that He shone a great light. So it means that we can only grasp so much. And when we get to the ceiling of that which we are able to comprehend, it manifests itself to us as darkness, but all it is is, is a great light that we don't have vessels for. So the word aye, which is crying out where, is simultaneous, which is, which is the definition of darkness. When you're crying out where, that's the definition of darkness. Is simultaneously the word es Yom Shabbat, the light of Shabbos. It's just we don't have vessels for that light yet. That's how it could be that God is as present in this realm as He is in Etzilus, the highest realms, while simultaneously this word is called Elam Hidden. Because it's functioning on a level of, 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 of light that, that we don't have vessels for yet. And this is why it says in the Torah that we should circumcise our hearts and the mitzvah is written twice. That means that uncover your heart. This is men and women. Uncover your heart so, so that you're able to grasp these things. That you're able to grasp the presence of God, the love of God. The opportunities that every single moment presents. And then God says someplace else, I'll uncover your heart. Meaning to say either way it's going to happen. Best that you do it, but if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. It will happen. It will happen at some stage of humanity. You know, it's very important to know that Judaism believes in evolution in the deepest, deepest, deepest way. And we're not talking about Darwin right now. That, that, that subject we'll put aside for a moment. And you can make peace with Darwin, it's not an issue. But the bigger, larger point is that humanity and the world is still evolving. That's the bigger, larger point. It hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. Okay. Now for some questions and answers. Uh, yeah. So when you're talking about Bereshit and the 613 yeah. Kapher and how there's yeah. forgiveness kind of built yeah. into the system. Yeah. Yes. How come then in the same parsha yeah. at the end of Bereshit, God decides, you know what, actually I want to wipe everyone away if there's forgiveness kind of built into the system at the beginning? Right. 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 Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. It's a great question. You know, uh, I think the way I would answer it is 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 by saying that first of all God doesn't wipe everyone away God just starts again but I'm very aware of what you're asking um, so that's that's number one but number two more 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 to the point is that um, you know Reb Shlomo someone someone came up to me one time and, and he told me this this was a conversation that he had with Reb Shlomo he came up to him and he said, um, he said, tell me a Torah just for me. Right? And Reb Shlomo said to him, uh, you know, most people in the world think that I want less from them. But the truth is that I really want more from them. You know, because if you, around the Chevra and things like that, it seems like everything is very loose and, you know, this and that. But, that, that's not what Reb Shlomo's kavana was. That was not what his intention was. His intention is that he really wanted people to feel at home and comfortable so that they could really maximize who they really were within the mitzvahs of the Torah. And so, if that were true for Reb Shlomo, it's all the more so true for God. Meaning to say that God actually wants something from us. Meaning to say that he created the world for a particular reason. And it's not just this playground where we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want, and then, and then with no consequences whatsoever. 
that, that's a very unrealistic view of the world. Now, in our defense, it is the message that we get in Western society <laughs> constantly that, you know, that it's Miller time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's like from the moment you're born to the day you die, you know, it's, 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 that's what it is, you know? And to the extent that you're not either happy or drunk, what's your problem? You know, what are you, what, you know, what are you doing wrong? I mean, so the idea that there are expectations, real expectations, that God has of us, from us, of us, whatever, has almost been lost. And to the extent that we think that God has expectations of us, we think that makes God this tremendous drag who's raining on my good time and trying to infringe on my, on my lifestyle without understanding that there's a system and a vision that we're a part of, and that this system, th these mitzvot, th this Torah, is coming to make the very, very best version of us in the entire world. And that if we understood this, that this is what we'd want with all of our hearts and with all of our souls, and with all of our energy. So, so, so it's not nothing. In other words, it's not nothing just to be alive. It means something to be alive. You know, it says actually in the Gomorrah, and the Tanya begins with this, that every person who's born, at the moment that they're born, takes an oath and swears that they're going to be a tzaddik, swears that they're going to be righteous. Did you know that? And then life happens. <laughs> but we, our first moment of consciousness in the world is that expectation that there's a job to do. There's a job to do in this world. You know? Okay. Uh, when you were talking about, like, uh, like, like Kippur being in the beginning, like with Bereshit, there's the word Kafir, it, it reminded me of, and I'm, I'm asking you to, if you know about this, to elaborate on it, that also Mashiach's energy was present in, in Bereshit. Yes, yes. So I felt like there was a connection yeah. Like well, well. Yeah. Well, it says that that the name of Mashiach is one of the things that was created before the world was created. And when it talks about Hashem's spirit hovering over the waters, which is in the second or the third pasuk, the sages say that's also talking about Mashiach. That it's just it's waiting to happen. Just we just have to get it together. It's waiting to happen. In other words, that's the energy behind the energy pushing us forward. So. So um, it's all there. So I would, I would tie it to actually the other teaching, Yotzer 613. In other words, the formation of the world is this ongoing thing which is going to ultimately form the, the 613, which is the world, since the world is made out of the 613, which is the Torah. It's ultimately going to form the world into its most complete sense, which is Mashiach, which we call the Mashiach Messianic period. You know, It's an era of perfection, you know. So, so, so I would say Mashiach is contained within the Yotzer 613. And the way that we get there is through the Kaper 613. <laughs> so. Okay, so just to repeat, all these teachings have only been on the one word, Breshi. Just in case you thought I was talking about the whole verse, we're only talking about one word. So if you take the word, the word itself, Breshi, and you just put all the letters on one side of just the word Breshi, it adds up to 613, and then the last letter is Shin, which is 300, which could be Yotzer Kaper in this, in this version, this particular teaching. I thought there was a point that might uh, deserve some more elaboration. Yeah. With Moshe being the reincarnation of, uh, of Noah, yeah. and she brought up a comment that yeah. Moshe probably suffered from the same thing with, that Noah suffered from, which Rashi brings down as Katna and Munahu. But they were small in faith. I thought, I don't know, I feel like you had a good point. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't, my mind was not Sorry. prepared to discuss that, so. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't go into it, but I have whole talks on, on that, on Moshe, Moshe, Noach, and water. Mm. That's the name of one talk, and I, uh, it's, it's, it's out there, it's out there. Basically, Moshe fixes Noach. Moshe is the fixing of Noah. 
that's that's the that's the that's that's the, that's kind of the bottom line, and um, uh, it, there's more to it, but yeah, yeah. I guess a general question on uh, on Tikkun. Uh, you mentioned how yeah. um, uh, Noah, like the the ark, didn't have the rudder, uh, yeah. the steering wheel, so yeah. it was a Tikkun for his, uh, right. his lack of faith. Uh, how active are we meant to be in our lives in seeking that Tikkun? In other words, are we yeah. meant to be looking for friends and people to hang out with that are yeah. also helping us work on our Tikkun? And yeah. is our job also meant to be? Uh, like a distillation, sort of a focus on, on, the, on that tikkun as well? Or does Hashem just give us these things uh, without us looking for them? Or is it a combination of both? You know? Right. So, just to address friends, it's so essential to have good friends. You know what I mean? Because your friends will kind of keep you focused. And if you fall down, your friends will pick you up. So, so, um, so you need you need you need friends you need friends for sure, and then in terms of one's tikkun, you, um, yeah, that's that's absolutely something that isn't just given to us. You know, what's given to us is opportunities, but the actual critical work itself is very much not given to us. If God sees that we want to do it, then it says that in the direction a person wants to go, he's led. So God will provide what's called siyata de shemaya, help from heaven if a person is wanting to go in the proper direction. But a person has to really be actively wanting to be going in the proper direction and asking for help and making a real effort toward doing that. But yeah, in terms of, um, in terms of the, the, the rudderlessness of, 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 of Noah, um, we, we need a plan. Every person needs a plan. And that's, you know... Like Rip Shlomo would say that the hardest thing in the world is to have your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground at the same time. You know? It's very, very hard. But that's the, that's the ideal model of a Torah personality. You know, they have a vision, but at the same time they're very much rooted in this world. And um, that requires a plan. Um, <coughs> And uh, which means that a person has to be able to make some choices, which means a person has to be willing to let go of certain things in order to enrich others. Because um, it's an illusion to keep five separate paths going. And, and while it manifests itself sometimes as richness, this is just me talking, I think it's a bit of a, an illusion. Because um, I can only tell you that the path of Torah, if a person continues to learn, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and more amazing. But I don't know that a person can get to those places if they're doing four other paths simultaneously. Um, so, that's a... Uh, that and, and, and tikkun is probably the hardest thing in the world to do. I think it's a literally a lifetime project, literally a lifelong project, right? So it's it's I think it's it's very exacting. And to the extent that we don't do whatever tikkun, then we're already talking about another life, you know, another lifetime. And who wants that? I mean, I love this world, but, you know, I'm, I'd like this to be the last one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> given, given the option. <laughs> Not asking for any tests, but it's like, I think life is really hard. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I, I think life is very, very hard. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But anyone who thinks life is easy, I'd like to sit down with them and figure out what they're on, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, you know, do you know, have you ever, have you ever heard this joke, like a guy's like on the, I don't know, the, I don't know, 70th story of the Empire State Building, sticks his head out the window, and he sees a person falling from the top, 
right, speeding toward the ground. And he says to him, how are you doing? And he says, so far so good. <laughs> so anyone, who, anyone who's going to tell me that life is easy, I'd really like to know exactly what path they're on, you know? Um, all right. All right. Right, we're you're in the. Outside. You are in the. You are in the Torah right now. We are part of it. You are in the Torah right now. Right. That's why I always like to say, like, that who knows if we're all letters of the Torah right now, right? Yeah. Who knows what we're spelling right now? Like we're spelling something right now. That's intense. And then who's to say that when we started, we spelled one thing, but now we've learned a lot of Torah. Now these same letters might be spelling something completely different, right? So that's intense, you know?